0: The Paceline is supported by LAL Cycling. The Coast is calling. LAL shore collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LAL products are crafted right here in Southern California for shipment worldwide. And the Paceline is brought to you by Health IQ. You ride your bike, you stay in shape, you deserve lower life insurance rates. Head over to their website, healthiq.com forward slash paceline, and find out how much your riding can save you on premiums. Now, on to the show. One of us owns up to the truth about the True Grit epic.
1: I'm done. I am, you know, know, at this point it's only been 10 minutes and I didn't really know what the amount of time was, but I did know I had gone fewer than three miles. And I was like, my race is over.
0: And we're still wiping the drool off our chins following the North American handmade bike show and one bike in particular that paid tribute to a music icon. A guitar pick
2: that Prince actually used uh, epoxy to the stem. Um, wow. the, the entire bike is either purple or polished silver aluminum.
1: PaceLine, the podcast on two wheels. Welcome to show number fifty-nine. We're not quite at the point where we can round up to hundred, but we will be soon. At least, not by conventional math. I'm Fatty, and I'm part of the rolling group we call the PaceLine. With me, Hottie Michael Hotton. How are you doing, Michael?
0: I'm doing great in uh, what is one of the few areas of this country not covered in snow and freezing ice at this point.
1: Mm. Oh, it's nice here, too. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at 70 degrees today. I am riding without even arm warmers right now. Beautiful. Oh, it is so beautiful. And the main, no, assistant. Well, let's call him the assistant cat herder and publisher of Red Kite Prayer is also with us, Patrick Brady. Patrick, am, how are you doing?
2: Just fine. I have given myself a new job title.
1: Have you? I, well, I am I, now I now gave the... you one, too.
2: Yeah, I'm now the minister of Stoke.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, that that would go nicely on a business card if anyone used business cards anymore. Um, so you can, of course, find the Paysline on Google Play and Stitcher and SoundCloud and most importantly on iTunes. Speaking of which, what do you say we read the most interesting recent interview? This is one that came from PTO 23, uh, just a couple of days ago and the headline for it is great show. And I like this one because they mentioned other podcasts, including one I have not listened to, but am now going to, uh, we're inclusive here at the Paceline. Anyway, PTO 23 says, I like several cycling podcasts. Speed metal cycling is fun and kind of snarky. Velo News is smart and topical. I'll agree with that. I do like the Velo News podcast. But why I really like The Pace Line is that it's friendly. And like having a post-ride beer with normal guys who both love bikes and pay attention to what's going on. Great rapport between the hosts and interesting interviews. It's it's like he believes we actually like each other.
2: <laughs> well, let's do what we can to keep the charade up, can we? <laughs> <laughs> i'm in (laughs) oh
1: big big hug guys Um, yeah no that's dynamite
2: that that gives me like warm fuzzy stuff
1: yeah so let's uh let's ask our listeners to you know leave us a review uh like uh either like the one you saw from pto 23 or uh if you have something that you think we can do better let us know that too uh your reviews your ratings make a difference in helping other cycling fans find the pace line And with that in mind, what do you say, guys, we take this brief moment that I I seem to have carved out the first thing we talk about as being me and my weight. (laughs) Um,
2: (laughs) Well, I I mean, we wouldn't want to change the format now.
1: No, no. So uh, today I am at 163.3 pounds, which is pretty good, um, especially when you consider that uh, when I got back from Disneyland, which is why I was not on the last episode of The Pace Line, I got back up to 169 pounds. I gained seven pounds in five days of vacation. That's... It's like I'm defying physics, guys. No, that's how much... like
2: an achievement.
1: Yeah. How much funnel cake was involved in your vacation? Uh, the thing is... I, I thought I was being so good. I <laughs> did not eat. I didn't get a single churro, no funnel cake. I didn't buy any Mickey Mouse ice cream sandwiches. For one thing, there were eight of us there, and it was simply beyond my budget to go buying those kinds of treats at those kind of quantities. But also, I mean, I was really trying to keep my weight reasonable. I was trying to not be – Annoying, but and so I went to restaurants. I mean, when we you know we went to Outback, you know, sure I had no half the awesome blossom or whatever the onion ring thing is there, (laughs) but more (laughs) or less I thought I was good. But seven pounds, it it, it was just astonishing. But anyway, I'm back to one sixty three.
2: I need so. to ask a question. We have to stop here right now. And I have mm-hmm. to ask, how many of the days that you were on vacation, were you walking around theme parks like Disneyland?
1: All of the days. Um, so we spent <laughs> most of our days at uh, at Disneyland uh, with one day at Universal Studios. And uh, like most most phones, my my phone has a walking tracker and it tells me and you know my my wife's phone confirmed that we walked on average between 9 and 11 miles each day because <laughs> our, our hotel was 2 miles from the park and we walked both to and from uh the park each day i mean we didn't we didn't rent a car and we didn't take a bus uh for either of these things we did we did like practically a half marathon of walking every day and I still gained a ton of weight. It's you know, it's it's a curse. Um, so
2: what were you carrying sticks of butter with you?
1: You know, you know, according to according to current wisdom, sticks of butter are better than churros um, as far as what you should be eating. But you know, I, I I don't have an answer. Is really my answer? I don't know why I gained all of that back. I'm just glad that I've knocked off most of that. Another pound and a half, and I'm back to my pre-vacation weight and on track. Hopefully to hit my race weight of 157 by probably mid-April. Text day is my is my new uh, 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 race weight date.
0: Oh, there's a pretty, wow. there's a pretty good guess that most of that was water weight since you were yeah. not sweating and riding and on your uh, wahoo trainer doing your over unders you know you probably was you l- probably leak out a lot of sweat during those during those times and so i i would imagine your body just recovered all the water and stored what what you normally sweat out uh, maybe a pound or two and in, in food or it's certainly yeah. not that much in fat i wouldn't think over that period of time but that's probably the I, best guess fatty
1: I wonder if uh, other cyclists find that if you just take a week off riding and you go somewhere and even if you are trying to be good, in quotes, and eat well, in quotes, without being super annoying, not in quotes, um, do you gain weight? Do you gain weight like I do or, I mean, even at a fraction of the weight I do or is this truly – why my nickname is Fatty? <laughs> it's well, that's the...
2: precisely why I haven't gotten on the scale since I've gotten back from my trip.
1: Oh yeah, and we're going to be talking about that trip, the uh, the N A H B S Nabs, um, which will of course no longer be in Utah anymore after after this year. Sad. Anyway, so uh, moving away from my vacation, the day well, two days after I got back from the vacation, uh, I went to St. George. And the intent there was to race the True Grit Epic, which is a 45-mile uh, sandstone, legy, rocky, single-track mountain bike race uh, that has gained a lot of popularity. And I've done for the last, I think, two or three years. And I love that race. I mean, it, it strings together, I mean, really 45 miles of fantastic desert single track. I mean, it, it it's a great thing to do, even if you're not planning to bust out a serious day. And the people who went with me did fantastic. My, uh, my wife, Lisa, she took first in the women's sport category, which wow. is the only category there is for non-pros. Um, Melissa... Uh, aka the the monster because she won the the women's sport category last year by a lot she felt like the only right thing to do was to enter for the first time ever as a in the open/pro slash category good for her and while she you know, while she did not of course podium she took i, I think almost exactly mid pack like out of the 20ish women i think she took 10th and more importantly she knocked like half an hour off of last year's time good that, grief you wh- watch the name melissa Rollins, gang she is not <laughs> she she is just gathering steam yep. uh, i'm just like super impressed by her technical ability and the legs and lungs she is developing.
0: Well, thank her for At, us. Thank her for uh, on behalf of the Paceline line for moving up and going to a stronger category. I mean, she could, yeah. have, she could have sat still, done the same thing, wiped out her competition easily. Mm-hmm. So thank her on our behalf. I mean, we love, we want to, you know, you want to uphold that type of attitude. That That
1: is the way to do it. That really is. That really is. And, you know, Lisa, she picked the right category. Second place was one minute behind her. Uh, Lisa thinks that the, you know, the sole reason she won is because she skipped one aid station that the other woman uh, did stop at. And, you know, that's, it's a difference of one minute. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your stop time matters just as much mm-hmm. as your rolling time. So a you know, super-duper close uh, a contest between those two. Um, and then there was me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ha oh, so but my my story I think is interesting because I think a lot of us have done this, although maybe not as early as I did. I got um, approximately nine and a half minutes into the race, and I know it was that because I've looked at my Strava flyby when a guy and and this is by, by this time it we are on dirt but we have not hit the single track yet and, and people are antsy and juking around and trying to move up in the field. A guy passed me off the road. Uh he you know on a bank which was soft and uh you know soft and there was no line. And so he came back onto the road, hit me, pushing me into another rider. Now the guy who hit me um, and pushed me into the other rider, he stayed up and continued on. The other rider and I tangled horns. We both go down. Bam. Mm. You know, nine minutes into the race. Both of us jump up as, as the tendency is, you know, in the heat of the battle, you're, you're all adrenaline, you don't even notice what's hurt. Um, to his credit, this guy, you know, the first thing he says to me is not, nothing angry, but, hey, are you okay? Which I think about, I've thought about that several times and appreciate it. And I, at the moment I thought, yeah, I'm fine. And I ask him the same thing, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. And he gets on his bike and he goes. And I'm about to jump on my bike and go as well when I notice that my, um, my, my saddle is turned at 90 degrees now, right? And it takes a while to fix that and get that right. And then I get on my bike, and I find that my derailleur is broken.
2: Ooh, the the Ooh, derailleur yep. itself, or just the hanger?
1: Uh, the as it later turned out, it was the hanger was bent, and the uh, shifting cable uh, had been severed. Oh,
2: good grief! Catastrophic. That's not easy to do.
1: So I mean, it's it was you know that was that. Um, you know, if I wanted to ride in my hardest gear on this race, um, that would have been possible, but I didn't want to (laughs) just, wait, aren't you
2: usually a single speeder?
1: Yes, but we're talking a way different ratio here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, picky, picky, picky. I'm on a I'm on a SRAM one by eleven with a thirty six up front, um, so yeah, I wasn't going to I wasn't going to just uh, try to mash my way through this thing. Uh, it's too steep in too many places. Plus, um, once I started pedaling and it cooled down a bit, my back was hurting, um, and it Aww. stayed hurting. So <laughs> I I made the dis I I, I mean. It, I made this decision and it was not an easy deci- decision and I stood around trying to think how can I fix this and I finally decided I, I'm i done. I am, you know, you know, at this point it's only been 10 minutes and I didn't really know what the amount of time was but I did know I had gone fewer than three miles and I was like my race is over. And that is just such a hard thing to have to say to yourself. And I'm, I'm curious, when you are, you know, when something happens, whether it is a serious mechanical or an injury or a combination of the two, and you are confronting that moment of, do I have to quit this race? Um, is, is there a more existential crisis-y moment for a competitive cyclist than that? Nope, nope, that, definitely not. Nope. That moment of, you know, what does this say about me is what I'm thinking more than I am thinking, well, there's really nothing I can do. And, you know, looking back, you know, there were always things that I could have done. And I later thought to myself, well, you know what this is, teaches me is I need to be a better mechanic so I could have mm-hmm. evaluated my options better and new sooner because I'm a terrible mechanic. I'm no mechanic at all.
0: Yeah, but replacing but, a derailleur hanger is actually you got to carry one first of all, and I care. I, I know yeah. this is going to sound terribly pompous, but I actually carry one on more on the epic rides I do or the epic races I do, where I think I'm going to be mm. out there for two plus hours. I stuff a derailleur hanger in my in my seat bag, and they're easy wow. to change. Um, yeah. A snapped cable, or you combine that with a snap cable, yeah. Now you're getting into you know <laughs> double jeopardy. Um, yeah, but
2: yeah, I don't uh, know anybody who travels with cables. No. <laughs>
0: I broke a cable at a at a Grasshopper event series on a road bike once, up by the, it broke up by the shifter, and ended up um, finding a way, putting it into the small ring, and taking the limit screw on the rear derailleur and cranking it all the way down, so uh, at least it would stay in like the fourteen or so, and was on the middle of a climb, but managed to crawl out of the the hole I was into and get the bike home somehow, but time was awful, but you know, scrape, scrape my way through it.
1: Yeah. So I, I, I limped the bike home or back, you know, back to the starting line Went, took a shower and then got good photos of the rest of the crew at the finish line. And you know, that was my day. And while I was sitting there, you know, feeling sorry for myself and increasingly, you know, feeling all of the aches and pains that come with a good hard crash you know, at race pace on rocks and stuff. <laughs> I, I didn't, it wasn't a small fall. Um, I did what anyone would do and emailed Jonathan Vodders <laughs> to, to tell him what, how my day Your personal coach, Jonathan Vodders. I yeah. emailed my personal coach, Jonathan Vodders, and said, I crashed out. I'm really bummed, but anxious to get back to training, you know, back from Disneyland now. Uh, what do I do next? And, Honest to goodness, guys, he replied within three minutes and said, well, first of all, how are you doing? And, you know, I reply back and say, well, my back hurts and I am, I feel otherwise okay. You know, my, my knee is scraped up and bruised and my, you know, I have a real big raspberry on my, on my butt cheek where my, you know, I turned my saddle, I I assume is where, where that came from. And he's like, okay don't do anything tomorrow and then 150 watts you know real easy spin for an hour then you know for the next couple of days we're not going to we what we don't want to do is uh exacerbate the pain in in your back and i you know okay and so you know for the last few days i've been doing that and he has just been i mean he's obviously someone who deals with bike related injuries on a frequent basis he knew exactly you know what to do not you know it would it, and you know how hard I should go and you know kept it kept it really simple and he's eased me back into it so that you know yesterday uh with it being beautiful out here I went for about 180 watts for two hours at 90 rpm you know which is a, a good fast spinny pace for for me you know as a as a single speed masher guy that was actually a real hard workout but you know he's been bringing me back into it, and the goal is still, you know, work toward a sub nine at Leadville. I mean, sub eight at Leadville.
0: Yes, sub eight. So, yeah, wasn't uh, wasn't Vodder's a little busy with Perry Nice? again? You keep this guy has a big job, you know.
1: He, I know. I, I I am continually astonished <laughs> at the rapidity with which he replies, and I, I, I'm assuming that I am his single least important. Uh, person to communicate with Uh, you know of all the people in the world that he needs to talk with i should be at the bottom of his priority list and yet he is with me you know he is just jonathan on the spot right (laughs) he is you know yeah i want to
2: make a joke about yeah you're you're my least important person too but uh, i mean seriously (laughs) you know my gosh it's it's such an impressive thing and it says so much about him and his character because i mean he's a guy who has been criticized for being you know like 75% mr spock um hmm. and you know i mean i've known him for a number of years and i'm I've, I've seen his thornier side um and yet i you know yeah i like him immensely i i respect him also immensely um but this is one yeah. of those things where the immediacy of his reply and you know his his understanding and caring about your situation um Really demonstrate, you know, a, a new side and depth to the guy that you know I haven't had a chance to see before, and it makes me dig him just that much more.
1: Yeah, um, and and with with that in mind, you know, just one exchange that I thought was kind of funny. I had to had to read it to my wife. I, you know, thinking the same thing you are, which is like, wow, this guy is really generous with his time. I I sent him an, a little note saying, hey, I. It should not go unsaid how much I appreciate the amount of time you were spending talking with, you know, a, a, a 50-year-old guy of limited ability of, um, and treating, you know, treating my objective as important. And so thank you. You know, something like that. Basically, I was a little mushy because I was super appreciative. And he just replied, okay, great. So the (laughs) the 75%, the 75%, yeah, uh, 75% Spock. Yeah, I think maybe there's a little bit of that. He's, you know, he, he, I, you know, I don't know him well enough to know how he, you know, what he, uh, how comfortable he is with, you know, man hugs and stuff like that. But, you know, he's, you know, he's friendly and he is helpful and he's generous with his time. And I'm also kind of thinking, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll probably, for his own comfort, keep the mushiness quantity to a minimum going forward.
0: Well, I'm sure he, maybe he was just a little <laughs> distracted by sure. a, a major major stage race that was going on in Europe. That's perenice which gets me <laughs> into something I'd like to talk about real quick. And, yeah. and like with your ride uh, at the True Grit Epic, Fatty, perenice had some serious whining involved. And I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> Uh, Sergio Aynow of uh, Team Sky, by the way, won the race. It's the second year in a row that Team Sky has come away with the Paris-Nice victory. And it comes at a good time for Team Sky. If folks have been following. Uh, David Brailsford is single-handedly trying to bring this whole organization down with his evasiveness uh, regarding um, some drugs that were delivered to the team some years ago. So this really, the the victory by now over the weekend has to do a lot for morale, at least for the riders are concerned. And now won in similar fashion to Garrett Thomas last year when Garrett descended into Nice, flew after, I forget who he was chasing, but had like a 55-tooth chain ring on and and made up time. He'd lost the the race on the road, the jersey on the road. The same thing happened to now. He was chasing Contador, who was ahead of the, the pack in a break and managed to cover the time in the descent, uh, get his jersey back on the road, and barely, by like a few seconds, beat Contador for their overall. In fact, if had Contador won the stage, instead of taking second, he would have won Paris-Nice instead of Sergio now, So again, it was a dramatic eight-stage race um, in France. But one of the things that really caught my eye this year about Paris-Nice, look, if you like cycling and you like wine, then this year's edition of Paris-Nice was, according to Cycling Weekly, and I love this line, an absolute corker of a race. <laughs> Following a stage that started in Chablis, the time trial, Wednesday's time trial, it ran through the heart of the Boujolais region, with suitable prizes being handed out to the top riders on the day for the time trial. Along with uh, 4,000 euros in prize money, the organizers gave the winners... 48 bottles of wine from the Association of Local Wine Producers. Yay! Love that. Uh, 24 bottles went to uh, the, the runner-up. Third place got 12. The rest, of course, went to the the winers. And those winers were Julian Alaphilippe with top prize. Alberto Contador got second. Tony Gallopan third. The winers of stage, <laughs> the time trial stage they, at Paris. They got 48 bottles apiece? No, that was forty-eight bottles total.
2: Oh, so, okay, okay. Because um, I mean, you said it was Beaujolais. If they were giving the guys Nouveau Beaujolais and they gave them forty-eight bottles apiece, those guys would never get through it because you got to drink that st-
0: stuff soon. I'm sorry, the, no, the the winner or winner did hole. get forty-eight. I, uh, I'm reading this again here. The winner or winner of the stage got forty-eight bottles of of local wine, and I'm assuming some of that had to be Beaujolais, but don't Beaujolais. know for sure. Yeah. Bojo. Um,
2: wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, this This is like, you know, this is going to slow those guys down if they actually drink it. This is wonderful.
0: Uh, <laughs> well, I, I love what goes on in France. I love reading all the side prizes and premiums and sprint prizes that are given away during the tour. Like, they give away livestock. Sometimes oh, guys yeah. walk away with horses or saddles or weird hats and all kinds Sheep. of crazy stuff. Sheep. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, it used to be that they gave the uh, the winner of the KOM jersey each day his weight in chocolate. Hmm. <laughs> and they
0: had that's like right, a little scale. I think that KOM jersey is, was originally sponsored by a chocolate company or a candy company of some sort. Yeah. That's where the polka dots come from.
1: Well, wow. From whining to whiners. I love it. And I think that's a good place for us to leave for a quick break. And then we'll be right back. You're listening to The Pace Line.
2: It was the true punisher of
1: souls that have been wicked in their whole life. And then it also wanted to tear off the rear end of your bike.
2: We've been talking about Health IQ and how they are helping people to source better rates on life insurance recently they updated their site with new insurers and the ability to serve more people they've got special rates for cyclists of course and runners and triathletes but also vegans and other health conscious people now we've mentioned they have quizzes and these aren't just for fun if you score elite on a quiz for a specific lifestyle that can earn you a further discount on your life insurance. They've also replaced BMI with waist to hip ratio, which is a far better predictor of cardiovascular disease when it comes to athletes. Additionally, they replaced the LDL to HDL ratio with triglyceride to HDL ratio for people on low carb or paleo diets because that's a better predictor of cholesterol health. Amazingly, they will not take into account one incidence in a family history if you are otherwise healthy. It's like a get out of jail card. In other words, if one person in your family has had cancer or diabetes, they won't ding you for it. Finally, they can also get better rates for those with runner's heart or hypertension. Check them out at healthiq.com paceline.
1: The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels, Patrick, Hottie, and Fatty, all of Red Kite Prayer. And now we are at the part where we talk about industry stuff, especially right now, the NA Hand-Built Bike Show. What does NAHBS stand for exactly? I I know North American Hand-Built, and then I get S, and I don't know if it's like (laughs) show or...
2: North American Handmade Bicycle Show.
1: Oh, so the the Hand-Built... I was getting to the B a a little too soon. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. okay. Well, anyway, it was in Salt Lake while I was uh, either in Disney uh, or at Disneyland or crashing my bicycle in St. George. <laughs> and meanwhile, Patrick, you were here being very judgmental. Well, and let's be clear
0: <laughs> this was Disneyland for Patrick going yeah, to Salt
1: Lake City. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah and this is believe way me. Pirates
0: of the
2: Caribbean,
1: <laughs> which was closed. Oh, oh, really? Oh, yeah, Matterhorn too. Oh,
3: and enough about sacrilege. Disneyland, though. Okay, let's okay.
1: get back. Let's get back to the show here in Salt Lake City. Tell
2: yeah. So, um, I serve as chief judge for the awards, and I've done this for a fair number of years at this point. Um, I consider it, you know, a bit of volunteerism. It's a way for me to help the show. Um, it's also a way for me to use uh, the experience and and knowledge I've gained over. <laughs> I think at this point, it's 26 years of writing about custom frame builders. Um, And it's, uh, it's a collection of, you know, the creme de la creme. When I was writing about custom builders in the 90s, it was getting harder and harder to find new guys who were really talented. And, you know, now, you know, I think about the best work I was seeing in the 90s and what I see now as kind of average work at NABs. That good work back then, you know, is roughly equal to sort of average stuff or maybe even below average at NABS. It's incredible how far things have come because of this show. You know, having everybody under one roof uh, leads to a lot of exchange of ideas and, you know, people having a chance to meet each other when they've only ever seen photographs, you know, on Facebook or something. And so it's a a real gathering of the tribe. You know, that part's a whole lot of fun. But Friday for me is a day of a lot of intense activity. Unfortunately, there were only two judges this year. Uh, Our friend Jeff Archer was killed by a drunk driver last summer. And so we didn't have him back. Um, And we'll get to more about that a little later in the show. But uh, Maurice Tierney, who has served as a judge uh, previously, he's the publisher of Dirt Rag magazine. He swooped in and helped out a little bit here and there. But for the most part, it was just Nick Legan uh, of Adventure Cycling, formerly of Zello News and formerly uh, a mechanic for the U.S. Postal Service team. Uh, Nick and I uh, were on duty for that. And we really made a conscious effort uh, to come around and be unanimous on each of our choices because... Uh, with only two judges, you know, if we, if we split the vote, it was going to be kind of hard to come up with something. So every single category, we were unanimous, um, in our conclusions and man, we just saw an incredible amount of, of wonderful work. Um, uh, it's little surprise that, uh, Brad Bingham at Ericsson won for best TIG, uh, yet again. I mean, that's like his fifth year in a row. Um, But, you know, we saw Dave Kirk was back for the first time in a few years. And not only did he take best fillet bracing with a really stunning bike uh, that had these unusual webs of brass fillet uh, in each of the transitions, uh, but he also won for best road bike. Um, Amazingly to me, even though all the industry uh, is going to, you know, 25 millimeter tires at minimum, a lot of people are running 27s and 28s. The majority of the road bikes we saw all had 23 millimeter tires. There were only two guys who submitted road bikes with uh 28 millimeter tires. Um, and there were other touches about those that you know helped put them over the top. But uh, Dave Kirk's uh road bike 28s, um, stainless steel with some uh little bits of polish here and there. You know, you could actually see all the brazing work at the lugs. Oh my god, what a bike! Uh, it was it was a real just fantastic piece of work um let's see some of the other high points uh the best gravel bike was submitted by aaron Barchek and the crew at mosaic mm-hmm. it was uh, a wonderful uh three two and a half uh tie bike that was painted through most of the bike but the the very end of the seat and chainstays were left as bare tie uh it had fenders the inside of the fenders were painted in this accent color that was used elsewhere on the frame Oh my gosh! Total uh, drool
0: bike, total drool bike. That yeah,
2: one. Yeah, yeah. Um, the best mountain bike was a real stunner. It it was something that actually made me think of you, Fatty, because uh, so it was from Sklar Cycles. It was a convertible. Uh, I guess that's the only way I can call it. So it had <laughs> um it had the uh, the the flanged adjustable dropouts from Car- Paragon, so you could run mm. it as a single speed. But he had routing so that you could add a rear derailleur and a shifter and make it shiftable. But in addition to that, it came with a rigid fork that was corrected for the uh, crown to axle length of a um, of a suspension fork. So if you wanted, <laughs> you could pull the rigid fork off and put a suspension fork on. So effectively, it was four bikes in one. Um And that just, oh my gosh, yeah, it was so cool. The lines of the top tube and there was this little brace for the seat tube, uh, just very swoopy, kind of reflected the S in the logo for Sklar, you know, Hmm. gorgeous bike and a young guy at that. I don't even think he's 25 yet. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then um, the, it's funny in the artisan category we had some very, very cool entrance, but we were looking around and realized that a bike that we'd seen in the mountain bike category from Black Sheep Cycles wasn't there. And I was like, no, 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 no. The amount of fabrication work on that bike, I need that here. And so I sent one of my minions, one of the volunteers, to go back over and pull that bike. And I, I never had a conversation with the guys about it, but that must have been a little surprising to them. Oh, we need this bike back, sir. Um <laughs> <laughs> and we brought it back and I reviewed it against the other entries and it was like, yeah, this thing, it was a fat bike with custom made titanium racks. It's a bare tie frame, you know, brushed finish, um, these little plates with the black sheep logo um, cut in it, you know, water jet cut um, all the I mean, I I should have counted up the number of welds on this bike between the frame and the racks. You know, we're talking literally dozens of welds three or four dozen welds on this bike most likely and they were all really great welds and just the the overall look of the bike you know the the hand fabricated handlebar <laughs> it was just sick and so uh it was it was not an easy conclusion to draw but you know it did win and and it was a, a very very deserving bike uh i like it because it's a bike that you know, okay, sure. It's expensive, but it is commercially available, whereas some of the other entrants we've seen in that category are not commercially available. Mm-hmm. So being able to bridge those two things, uh, pretty stinking cool. Well, let, um,
0: let's talk about the best in show bike. First of all, from Peacock. Oh my gosh. Second yeah, of all, Groove. an ode to Prince, an amazing machine. But third, is that a commercially available bike? Yeah. Discuss that bike real quick, Patrick, and can we get it?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, that's the crazy thing. So Eric Eric Norin, the owner of Peacock Groove, he was at Kroll Cycles. He's done a lot of other things before he started Peacock Groove. So his, you know, that name doesn't ping the way it ought to. But Norin is as, well, sure, let's give it a try, a guy as there is out there. Um, he's super open-minded. And, you know, at a certain level, his gig... Uh, His kink is, you know, the weirder, the better. Um, So when Anna Schwinn of those Schwinn's uh, approached him about doing a bike, and then very shortly thereafter, Prince died, and they both live in Minneapolis. They're both complete uh, Prince nuts. They said, oh, well, hey, let's make the bike an homage to Prince. So they painted the rims. There are Purple Rain lyrics on the rims. Uh, The Peacock Groove logo on the down tube was swapped out for Peacock Groove painted uh, in the the font used on Purple Rain. Uh, There's a guitar pick that Prince actually used, uh, epoxied to the stem. Um, The the entire bike is either purple or polished silver aluminum. Mm -hmm. And let's see. The the, the little
0: Prince emblem, the, the sign that Prince used. Yeah, as, as yeah, his name symbol. for a while or is detailed everywhere on the water bottle boss mounts everywhere on the bike it's beautiful yeah there's a blinky light
2: mount on the left uh, seat stay you know and that's got the the Prince symbol yeah it's just all over the bike and then uh, Eric made the two seat stays asymmetric one one's perfectly straight the other kind of curls in at an unusual angle and you know Eric looked at me when he uh, when he showed me that and he said because music is asymmetric and <laughs> You know, I, I can't really parse that sentence, but, you know, when he said it that way, I was like, well, yeah, duh, of course it is. So um, was that a
0: commercially available bike, or is it just you, a showpiece?
2: No, you could go to him, and if you ponied up, you know, he would make that bike for you. Yeah. Uh, it would be difficult to, because there was all sorts of stuff that uh, that Anna was able to source that would be pretty hard to do again. She might do it for somebody, you know, if, if she was paid the right... I mean... The rotors for the disc brakes, um, the supports for them, were cut out of the Prince symbol itself. So yeah. you look at those rotors, and they're special rotors. The 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 venting holes in the rotors have uh, Prince lyrics cut into them. Everything about the bike reflected that love. It, the bike is an expression of mania. I've not seen anything like it in my life. And, you know, for years we had a best theme bike category. And I hated the category because, I mean, at a certain level, Eric Norrin was the only guy who really got it, even though he didn't win it every single time. But he was the guy who was kind of on that track. He did a bike honoring Evil Dead, um, or was it Evil Dead 2? I forget which of the films, but, you know, an <laughs> Evil Dead themed bike. Um, he did another another bike that honored the movie Highlander. You know, there can be only one. And, you know, the guy, he's... I mean, at a certain level, he's, you know, kind of a nut. He's a little out there. I love that about the guy. I mean, he's just, you know, he's got such a big heart for this stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I saw this bike, I was like, okay, well, that's our theme bike. Um, And I've desperately wanted to kill the category. And we are now officially killing the best theme bike category after this award because we're not ever going to see anything that tops this. Yeah, where are you going
1: to go now? Yeah,
2: so, I mean, this was, you know, to use the, the colloquial... Uh, this is the mic drop, you know, boom, we're out. Um, but what was so think- fun was that we, um, we were able to give him the award for best theme bike. And then he walks off toward the photo booth because Don told me to go there. I was like, no, he's supposed to stay here. He's got to stay close. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so he walks off for that. And then we go to announce uh, best in show. And we announce Peacock groove again. And from across the hall, I hear Anna Schwinn scream. Um, so it was fun because I knew this would be kind of a psych moment for them. You know, they thought, oh, here's our little consolation prize. Fine, we didn't get Best in Show, but, you know, okay, they recognized how cool this bike is. Great. And, you know, but no, I, w- I, had, I had my eye on that bike for Best in Show from the start of the show. I knew that whatever won Best in Show was going to need to top that bike. Yeah. And it was a room full of fantastic just just dripping with awesome. And, you know, as many great bikes as, as were there, you know, just nothing topped that bike. Right. And, you know, that's not even a bike I would personally want to own. It's not quite my style. It's, you know, two too of that thing. But there's no de- denying the passion that went into it. And at a certain level, this bike is the ultimate collaboration between a client and a builder. They really worked together on this bike. And I think it epitomizes what you want to see in purchasing a custom bike from a builder. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to recognize it was that it was such a great symbiotic relationship between the two of them. Such a shared passion.
0: Yep. Yeah, I saw a- another interesting music-related entry from Stinner Bikes. They had a bike that paid homage to the Grateful Dead. It was done in their colors and yeah. with a lot of their emblems and their lyrics, you know, uh, painted onto the bike, too. So, a lot of great creativity going. Tallarico Bikes, I don't know if you saw them. I saw some interesting work from them, as well. I think they won a People's Choice Award, too, for yeah
2: for. Yeah, for uh, a penny farthing
0: that they had, a drop bar penny farthing at that. Yeah. (laughs) Very cool stuff. But then, Patrick, there's also, you know, more practical stuff there. People there using the show to launch either new product or show off additional entries. And and one of those companies is a company we've been keeping a close eye on since their inception, inception, that is. And that's HIA Velo, AKA Allied Bikes. Now, Allied has made a big splash so far, uh, made a lot of covers of magazines, gotten a lot of nice press because they're bringing bike building, carbon bike building, to the U.S., to Arkansas. And they, at the show, announced, what, their second model. Yeah, the is Echo. Correct? Yeah,
2: so it's, it's a custom bike where, you know, um, the Alpha is uh, strictly production. Um, you know, what was it? Uh, six, seven sizes. Uh, the Echo is completely custom- Um, But it's essentially the same layup and comes in around the same weight, about 800 grams, which is plenty light. You know, there's a real dividing point in carbon fiber performance, you know, relative to what I've ridden. Somewhere between, you know, 950 and 850 grams, you go through a transition there. And once you get into the 800 gram range uh, for a 56 centimeter frame, the the quality of the ride really improves dramatically there's a big difference between an 800 gram frame and a thousand gram frame in ride quality uh and it's something i wish you know more of our audience had a chance to experience so yeah they're in a a territory where performance is absolutely solid you know so yeah now two models from them and they had a big 20 by 10 display or yeah 20 by 10 yeah big display bunch of bikes there. They even brought a jig and had one bike that, uh, one frame that had just been finished uh, being laid up, sitting there in the jig for display. Ultra clean work. And it's funny because, you know, there were people there who were like, why is everybody so gaga over Allied? You know, it's just a guru. And I had to stop people on several occasions and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, No, not just a guru. You know, yeah, they've got one of guru's uh, very important uh, employees, you know, the the uh, uh, the production manager from there. But this is a whole new layup. They're not using uh, any of the layup uh, from, uh, from the Guru days. They're using different materials. You know, there's the fact that they're using Enegra, which uh, protects against impact. But, you know, rather than do this, why don't we get on to the interview that we did back at Press Camp with Sam Pickman? So Sam... One of the things I'm really curious about with Allied is, you know, we were talking earlier about your product development cycle and what you've done mm-hmm. to maybe revolutionize is a big word for this, but you're, you're pursuing the manufacturing process in a different way. Tell us some about, you know, some of the big changes that you've made from your previous history at Specialized.
3: Sure. So I think one of the sort of unintended consequences of doing overseas manufacturing is it tends to really lengthen development cycle. So uh, you go through the whole process of, um, you know, going through design, you cat up the part, you get the industrial design, you kind of get everything together. You send off your drawings and everything to the manufacturer to produce your first article. And in several months, you get it back. Um, you try to assess what's happened. I mean, obviously you've, you know, you've taken some trips there, you've just kind of done all that. You test that product and uh, almost indefinitely, it does almost, you know for sure it does poorly in that first test and you have to sort of discern why. Um, you kind of cut up that sample, do your best to figure out what happened, get on some VCs or whatever, um, and then you send off recommendations to do a revision. About a month later, you receive another sample that has hopefully taken some of your changes into account. Uh, you go and break that hopefully it does well Maybe it doesn't and you kind of enter into that cycle again and every time you do one of those revision cycles it takes about a month um, unless you want to fly over there and Watch it break in a test lab in Asia and kind of do it all right there. So here what we, we have the ability to do is um, for one we're just super intimately um, uh, involved in every piece of the process. So there's design, and design is being, as design is being done, we're thinking exactly how that tooling design needs to be done. We're thinking exactly what our manufacturing techniques are gonna be. We're thinking exactly how that part's gonna be preformed. So when that thing, when our design is done, we're going right into tooling design, we're going right into layup design. Pretty soon we're making parts after our tooling is done. Once we're making parts, it goes directly from the laminator to the mold, to bonding, straight to the test lab. We break it, we assess, we know exactly what went into that thing, we know exactly all the little pieces that went up to that point, and we can make a revision within 24 hours and do it again.
2: As opposed to a month.
3: Right, so something that was taking about a month to do before we're doing in about 24 to 36 hours.
2: Remarkable. Um, What are some of the other changes that you're pursuing?
3: Okay, so right now we're using so, there's, there's a lot of advantages to doing um, American manufacturing. Uh, and one of those is being able to partner with material uh, suppliers. Uh, the one that we're going to be using initially is called Inegra. Um, so, dropping a new material into an overseas um, uh, supply chain and source can be really challenging, um, but since most of these companies that supply new materials are based in the United States, they're building materials for either aerospace or automotive or whatever, it's very easy for them to send a rep up to the factory, we can come lay up some parts together, they can tell us the right resin systems to use, the right cure cycles to use, et cetera, and we can just sit down and make parts together for a few days and just integrate it right into the process. So that's one thing we did, um, you know, uh, in building Alpha, in building the brand Allied, one of the things we really wanted to ingrain into the, the culture and the product here is durability. Um, and Enegra really fits into that uh, ethos for us. So they are, um, Enegra, it builds kind of like a skeleton um, for the composite structure. Um, so in case, you know, there's, there's a bunch of positives to it. One of the big ones is it acts as sort of like a skeleton in case there is catastrophic failure. It holds the part together, so it doesn't come apart. Um, it also dampens vibration. Um, it increases strain to failure. Um, yeah, so it's really, it's a really nice. it
2: affects nice, ride quality as
3: well. Yes, it does. So it, in certain areas, it can increase the uh, compliance. So we're using it heavily in seat stays. Uh, we're using it in the top tube for in bar strike areas and we're also using in the fork crown to avoid you know any type of crash failure or stuff like
2: that so it's not just that uh, the bike is less likely to break in the event of a crash or that sort of thing but also just in day-to-day use durability is increased you're less likely to get that little seat stay crack or or the top tube ding
3: i mean there's two there's a few major things i mean one is obviously the it affects the ride quality in a positive way Two is you're less likely to get that little annoying ding that's you know sends your composite bike into the dumpster. And then the third is is if you do happen to crash and let's say your you know your bar swings around and hits your top tube. Um, and, and the, the, the crack is obscured for whatever reason, you don't notice it. Um, a lot of times, you know, the, the rider will go away and continue to ride their carbon bike, and eventually that bike will fail catastrophically without them knowing why or when or what happened. The Inegro will actually hold that structure together, so it'll give the, that rider, you know, really fair warning that, hey, something is wrong with your bike now, and you need to go get something done about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's terrific.
2: And, you know, one of the other things I think is really worth talking about before we wind up here. Uh, warranty
3: yes okay so the bike is coming with a full lifetime warranty um, and we will also because we're doing everything in-house um, if you do happen to be unfortunate enough to you know fall over and crash your bike um, we will actually assess it and potentially repair that depending on how severe the damage is, and uh, we'll repair and refinish the frame for you for a for a small fee
0: Again, that was uh, Sam Pickman. He's the Director of Product
3: Engineering at Allied Bikes,
0: a.k.a. HIA Vela with uh, Patrick Brady there, uh, talking uh, mostly about their secret sauce in that bike, Patrick. That's a Negra, which is an amazing material. And I guess the takeaway here is is Allied is for real. I mean, these guys are here. Uh, I think at first it kind of seemed like a dream when you and I saw them in January, but they're here and they're, they're yeah. Up and and up. I
2: mean, it's one of those things where I don't want their use of negro to overshadow the rest of the work they're doing. You know, it's not easy to make a bike 800 grams that also you know is stiff enough to really be you know to ride well. And while I haven't had a chance to be on the bike yet, I have spoken to someone who has ridden one aside from Sam Pickman. And, you know, I'm hearing good stuff about it, you know. So, uh, you know, these are people who were at the top of their game elsewhere and, you know, united under this roof so that they could actually improve upon the work they were doing previously. And I have a whole lot of respect for that. So I'm, you know, I'm going to be on one of their gravel bikes uh, soon, you know, a couple months from now. And I'm just looking forward to that so, so much.
0: And I'll be waiting in a bush uh, off a trail, waiting to ambush you and take that bike away from you and ride it on back to Los Angeles where it, do, where Imagine it belongs. Imagine the
2: headlines on that, you know, podcast host yeah, mugs, other podcast nice hosts. Host. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, as I was cruising uh, all the photos and eye candy at NABs, something really stood out to me, and it wasn't a, a bike but a component. Component companies, you know, use, they support NABs, and, of course, they use the show to make product announcements. And the one that caught my eye was a Mavic's introduction of the redesigned Open Pro rim. Now, the Open Pro is one of those sacred cows in custom wheels. These rims have been around for over 30 years and really haven't changed much since 1986. I personally have had two sets built up with these rims, and I'll never forget a racing buddy of mine, Aaron Wimberly, told me, Michael, for training, Get you some Open Pros built up to 32 triple cross, and you will never be sorry and never break a wheel. Well, I, I did break a wheel, but it wasn't the rim. I actually broke a, a hub flange Ooh. in the end, and and the, the wheel set was pretty much worn out. But I had a second set built up. I still have them today. In fact, I rode them yesterday, my Open Pro, 32 <laughs> triple cross, with standard hubs on them. Very reliable. So, again, you get my point. I think, yeah. Here. Sacred cow for Mavic. Um, But indeed, they were due for an update. Uh, They barely had an internal width of um, 17 millimeters and an external of 19. So a narrow rim by today's standards. Far from tubeless ready. (laughs) Many folks will warn you, do not try to convert the Mavic Open Pro to tubeless. Not heavy, but they could lose a little weight like fatty and could stand some spoke count (laughs) variety. So here is what Mavic came up with for its open pro reboot first the look of the rim uh that traditional double wall box section rim shape now has these contours uh, between the spoke holes mavic calls it their ism 4d profile whatever it looks cool it's got this kind of wavy design not quite as dramatic as we're seeing in those new zip wheels patrick but but mavic says it does reduce weight the rims have dropped to about uh, dropped that is 20 grams and come in at about 420 a piece, so they've dropped a little weight. Uh, the width uh, on the internal side is now 19 millimeters, external 23. So they're responding to the wider is better and faster movement. Rims will also be yay tubeless compatible. They have the UST rating. There will be three rim types: two rim brake and one disc version and the split between the two rim brake versions will be one with a conventional brake track and one with max uh, mavic said is all black Exolith coating did i say that right Exolith. Yeah. i think so i think it's like excellent but <laughs> Exolith coating and you've seen this on their higher end Siriums, and maybe you've heard it too because users who don't use the supplied brake pads or install them improperly can produce a tremendous amount of noise on that rim but Trust me, if you buy the rim, you'll get the proper brake pads and you set them up right and you should be good to go. The rim brake version adds a 24 count hole rim. The disc will come in either 28 or 32. So now for a rim brake, you have either 24, 28, or 32, which is an addition. The rim brake will be out in June, disc later in the summer. The standard brake track and the disc version will go for just over 70 bucks. The rims I want, the stealth Exolith, 180 bucks a piece. But hmm. I'm hoping uh, the Rim Fairy will treat me good there. Good thing I have hubs already, by the way. Uh, so that's the new Open Pro. Uh, they were seen on a stinner bike at NABs. And I want to thank uh, Neil Shirley for getting me the info on the new Open
1: Pro lineup. All right. You guys saw so much candy. That is so unfair. Uh,
2: no, no. I, I think it's entirely fair. I chose wisely.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you chose it. I feel like I chose wisely as well. I just rode poorly. Oh. Let's go on to the paceline picks, guys. I think it is time for the part of the podcast where we point out something either bike or not bike related that has, for some reason, caught our eye. Hottie, you want to go first? I certainly can, <laughs> if you'd like me to.
0: Please. Uh, I think we've been over this topic before, boys, uh, and
1: that is our first, what was your first bike? Fatty, what was your first bike? Um, I think it was a Schwinn Stingray. I believe I still remember it was orange and with a black oh, banana seat. Envy, envy, uh, and oh, Ugh. yeah! That it, it was the bike. It was the bike to get. Yeah.
0: Then you're scratching my itch, uh, Patrick. Your first bike Raleigh was Raleigh
1: Chopper,
2: which was the English equivalent or substitute. Yeah.
0: Well, how the three of us never rode together as young kids, because we're all about the same age, is amazing. Because my first bike was a Raleigh. Had mm-hmm. a coaster break, 19, circa 1970. It was blue. It was fine, yeah. but, fatty, it wasn't the cool bike. You see, all my friends had what you had. A Schwinn <laughs> Stingray. Man, oh, was that... I, I wanted that Stingray. Not the Raleigh. I wanted the Stingray, the banana seat, the semi-chopper bars. The oh, back pedaling position, tassels mm-hmm. from the bar ends in some cases. Well, I guess there was a chance recently for me to live out my dream of having the Schwinn Stingray. Schwinn did a limited production run of the Schwinn Lemon Peeler Bike. It is the first time since 2008 that the company has produced the model, part of its Stingray family. Uh, Melissa Rick, Schwinn's Senior Director of Marketing, said... We're excited to make this bike available to those who always wanted to own a Schwinn Stingray, like me. This is an <laughs> opportunity for us to share our story with a new audience. New, Melissa? How about the jealous audience and the ungrateful owner of Raleigh's, who feel like they were shortchanged by their parents? Or just the nostalgic audience. Uh, right. Yeah? The limited edition lemon peeler uh, has a, had a spring suspension fork, a 16-inch front wheel, 20-inch rear The bike came with that striped banana seat, fenders, and a coaster brake. Each has a numbered certificate. The lemon peeler had been selling for $350 on Amazon. But my jealousy, the hole in my quiver, will have to live on. Because the limited edition lemon peeler sold out in just one day. So much for my Schwinn dreams.
1: I'm surprised they lasted as long as that. I, I would love to actually I would I, I'd just be real interested to find out uh, how I would feel about riding on a banana seat again. I have no idea. <laughs> I I'm thinking about it and going. I'm not sure that's a great shape. I think, you should, I think, off, I think you should cut off. It's perfect. Grab
0: your stingray. You should grab your stingray <laughs> and go back to the True Grid Epic and finish what you started. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can, I can
1: imagine <laughs> trying to get up. Uh, on that fun stuff. Oh, great pick. I'm going to go ahead and go next. And mine is more a testament to how to choose products. And it's a it's guidance for our listeners. When I pick something and choose and go out and buy something, that is a perfect time for you to wait one more month, because it's certain that if I've bought it, a new version is going to come out one month later. It's inevitable. It happens every time, which is what has happened with the Wahoo Element Bolt. Uh, I think I we talked on the episode where I finally caved in, went out, and bought the Wahoo Element, uh, talked about how much I liked it, and now the Bolt has come out, and... It is about a hundred dollars cheaper. It is a little bit smaller, and it is arrow. And I think some people might laugh at, and you know, the arrow claim on a computer. But Wahoo claims that is good for one and a half watts. So there you go. That's my pick. Cool. The Wahoo Bolt. The Wahoo Element Bolt. Same mm-hmm. software, same, uh, same most everything, but a smaller form factor lasts a couple less hours, a couple fewer hours on battery because of that size difference, I'm guessing, has one fewer LED arrays. But uh, if you're comfortable with your element, you'll be comfortable with the bolt. And if you haven't got an element, you know, it's uh, it's at a cheaper price point. So there you go. Very
2: cool. Okay, so mine. Well, this won't surprise anyone. I'm giving Peacock Groove my nod this week. Uh, they're just, you know, you, you got to go by the site. I mean, certainly everyone should be checking out our posts on RKP about the show. But seriously, he deserves some visits to his site to check out, you know, not not so much that bike, but his other work just to give you a full sense of what sure. it is he does. But yes, also that bike, Um, you know, Eric's been toiling away for a long time doing first rate work and not getting as much recognition as he deserves and you know right now his time in the sun go visit Peacock Groove
1: all right and anything else you want to point out coming up on? oh our just
2: table? lots and lots of posts about naps I've, I've got at least three more yep.
1: posts coming yeah so all right cool I'll look forward to the more because more is better in almost every circumstance, except for when you have gained seven pounds in five days, then more is definitely... <laughs>
2: so we want less fatty? We're going
1: <laughs> The less fatty, the better. I, I would think um, almost everyone would agree. Uh <laughs> well, I think that's going to call it for this episode of The Pace Line. Once again, thanks much for listening. Subscribe, rate, review us, all the places that you normally would. For Patrick, for Hottie, I'm Fatty, and you've been listening to The Pace Line.
2: Yeah, this is way better than Pirates of the Caribbean.
1: Be pompous, obese, and eat cactus. Be dull and boring each day.